Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, please uh, speak to us this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to hear from your word that we might be changed to be more like Christ, uh, that we might live kingdom-first lives for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I was having a conversation with my son who struggles with R words, and he can't get that er sound. And so we're working with him and said, buddy, it's read, read. And he goes, I can't do that. Uh, Come on, you can do this. Just read. No, I can't make those sounds. I said, well, buddy, I thought I'd mess with him a little bit. I said, we are hoping to have some friends come over in the next month or two. Um, And when they come over, his name is Reed. You're going to have to say, Mr. Reed. That's not his name. I said, no, really, it is. Daddy, that's not his name. People aren't named Reed. I said, no, buddy, his name is Reed, and his wife's name is Cricket. No, it's not. That is not what people are named says the boy, whose name is Kenan, who has a sister named Kira, a brother named Killian, and a dog named Cat. <laughs> said, buddy, that really, that, that is their names. He goes, no, that's just, that, daddy, that's not what their names are. And I could not get past his perception of, of what was real and, and what made sense. And, and in his world... Those aren't names. And he actually wouldn't trust me. Like it was so breaking this barrier of what he thought was like, this is what I'm perceiving. This is what reality is. And he would never have used those words. But it was so much so that he actually like, I I really couldn't get him to believe me that those were actually people's names. Have you been in a situation where the circumstance, where the the event, where the situation you're going through, it tells you that you can't trust God in this. Whatever it is that's happening, it's outside the scope of what you believe in your heart God is actually going to do something about. My family, while a first world family all of our lives, um, never truly wanting, like we've never, you know, been three days without food or, but but we've been through some things. A a daughter with cancer, a child that was a high risk pregnancy where week after week after week after week, we had to go in and get sonograms and every week not knowing what it was going to show. We've been through some things, and there are these moments where you think, I I want to trust you, but like, I don't know, based on what I'm seeing, based on what I'm perceiving, I I don't 
know for sure if you're going to do something about this. I'm not even sure that you really care. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're going, I got to go to another church if my pastor feels that way about God. But I think that's where the Israelites might have been. We're in this series, and, and, and I can't recap the series every single week, but you're going to start finding in the front of the bulletin on this page, there's going to be information that you can just look at if you want to kind of see where we've, con- where we've gone, what the series has been about. You can, of course, go to the app and listen to the sermons. Um, I'm going to be doing writing on it, and so you can go to the pastor's notes and see information. But I want to recap just this much. God made a promise to Abraham. God said, I'm going to reveal myself through you and your descendants by making you into this great nation and this nation that I'm going to use to actually bless others. I want to work in this world. And I want to use you and your family to do it. And yet, when the book of Exodus opens up, yes, they've become a big group. And they've multiplied. They are filling up Egypt. But they are also slaves. There's been a change of dynasty. It's not just a new ruler, but it's an entirely new dynasty. So that... The new rulers don't know who Joseph is. And Joseph was the one with the connection. And so now they say, well, we got a problem here. We have two issues. Number one, we have a nation within our nation. We have a group of people that aren't us living right in the midst of us. That could be rather dangerous if they decide to turn on us. And number two, I want to build some new cities And so the new ruler kills two birds with one stone. I'll just take this group and enslave them all, and I'll make them build my cities for me. Now they can't revolt, and I get what I want, and I don't have to ruin my people to do it. That's where the Israelites are at when Exodus opens up. And they've been there for up to 80 years That's something you won't get reading just chapter one, but if you read all the way through and you look at the timeline of Moses, 80 plus years, they are slaves. Does God really care? Can they really trust God who said, I'm gonna make you into a great nation and I'm gonna use you to bless others and they're slaves in Egypt? There are people that will go their entire life only knowing slavery can I really trust God if that's what life is? This morning, whatever it is you're going through or not going through right now, wherever it is you have struggled with, can I trust God? Is he worth trusting? I want to give you three reasons from this Exodus story that we're going to start this week and we're going to continue next week. I want to give you three reasons why you can trust him no matter what it is you're going through. Three reasons. Open up your Bible to Exodus chapter one. Exodus chapter one. Here is the first reason why you can trust God. 
God pays attention to his people. Have you ever felt like maybe God cares about some other people over there, but maybe not me? That God might be concerned with what they're going through, but I'm not sure about me? Ever felt like maybe God's just kind of stepped back and he's letting it happen? God pays attention to his people. Hey, here's what Egypt did. The new ruler, the new king, the pharaoh said, I want to make sure that this nation within our nation doesn't become too vast. So any male child that is born is to be killed. And the midwives, the Jewish midwives, began protecting those babies. Now, in chapter 1, go to verse 20. Here is the result. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I want you to see what's going on in this account. God does not just take the chains off. Like they stay in slavery. They get persecuted. But look what God is doing right in the middle of it. He is blessing the midwives. He is strengthening families And he's continuing to build his nation, his people, even in the midst of their slavery. They have persecution. God is blessing them while they're going through it. God is paying attention to his people, but I wonder how many of them didn't see it. I wonder how many of them, because of their hard labor, didn't recognize they had a family didn't recognize that God was continuing to build his people, didn't recognize that God was actually blessing them in the midst of their family even while they were in this slavery. Are you missing God's blessing in your life because you're so fixated on your hardship? It reminds me of taking kids to Disneyland. You take young kids to Disneyland and you bring them to the most magical place on earth where they go from ride to ride and joy to joy and they see Mickey and he's holding a lollipop with their name on it and all they have to do is walk over and get it. But it's so far away. And that's what you get the entire time. I can't walk. Do I really have to go all the way to there? You mean we have to wait in this line for five minutes? Really? It's so hot and I'm so hungry and I'm so miserable. Really? Can you not see like we're at Disneyland? It's like they totally miss it, except for that one moment when they're actually on the ride and everything is wonderful. And even the moment they get to the end of the ride, it's too tight. Take this off of me. That, maybe we're a little like that. Like there's all these things that God is doing in our lives. There are all these blessings. There's all these wonderful, beautiful things. 
But we get so fixated on what's not good that we miss it. Sometimes it gets so bad in our lives that God goes further. Turn to chapter 2. Go to verse 23. For 80 plus years, God is paying attention to his people and he is blessing them even in the midst of their hardship. But at one point, it goes too far. The hardship gets too much and God is paying attention. And this is what happens. Verse 23 of chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry, that word in Hebrew, is a really, really strong word. Like literally one of the strongest words of describing something. And it is describing an outcry of anguish. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up from God, came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenants. And the opposite of remember here is not forget. That's not what this word means. Like God didn't know, and now he, oh yeah, now I know. The opposite is not to care and not to act. God remembered. God went, yes, I made a promise to these people, and the persecution and the hardship has gotten so much, and I hear their cries. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What a weird way to say that. And God knew. God knew what? I mean, look look at the way that it's written in the ESV. But they're trying to convey something. This is a word, you might say it this way, and God had empathy. This is a word, not just no. Like God looked down and he went, boy, it's gotten really bad down there. It's not just a, like, I'm analyzing it. This is, I feel it. I know it. I I am getting what my people are going through. There is a greater connection in this word than just an analytical. God knew their pain. Think about how amazing that is. The God of the universe, in some sense, felt what they were going through. That outcry, he didn't just go, man, that is loud. It must mean something. Like, they're really yelling at me right now. That must be bad down there. That anguish of the soul that is in that word He felt the anguish of his people. I came across this story this week. This is an actual account. And a man posted much of this on Facebook after the event. And I just want to read a part of it to you. On July 7th, 2016 at 12.13 a.m. My wife was dying. She just had an emergency C-section and went into shock. I stood by her head while she was bleeding out and I remembered every fight we ever had and the things I never did for her. 
I couldn't let her know how scared I was. I stood in front of my wife saying my final goodbye. What do you say to someone knowing it's going to be the last time you talk to them? I tried so hard to comfort her, to tell her everything is okay. I tried to smile and pretend it's all just part of the operation. They called a code blue, and people started rushing into the room. She was shaking so much. I kissed her, and I asked God, please don't take her home. I was rushed to a different room, and I waited for about 10 minutes. Jackie, that's his wife, finally showed up, and my heart was so, so heavy with grief. I wanted to pick her up and just carry her out of the hospital as if everything would be fine. I wanted to leave and to have this nightmare be over. I stood with Jackie for about three minutes, and the worst thing happened. She lost about a liter of blood. I didn't say anything. I was just so scared. I was looking at my wife, and I couldn't utter a word. I wanted to say, I love you. I wanted to tell her it's okay. I wanted to help her as much as I could. I wanted to stop everything and start over again because I knew she was dying right in front of me. They called another code blue. People were running and they were pushing me further and further away from her. She uttered a word and it was like the room went silent. I think she asked for water and I thought, she's leaving earth. And they took me and my newborn son to another room. Do you imagine that? Do you imagine what he is feeling? As we were walking, I saw my mom and my family. I stood by my family for about two minutes, and I'm just looking at everybody. I'm holding back my own emotions. And my mother asked me, how is Jackie? I almost lost it and just started crying like a baby. I shrugged my shoulders. I didn't know. I didn't know how she was. I knew she was in really bad shape, and I wanted to run back into the room and hold her. But I had to take care of my son. He had to be given antibiotics to prevent an infection. After five minutes, I asked the nurses if I could go see my wife, and they reluctantly said yes. The hallway to where my wife was is about 40 yards long. I walked the first five yards and just started crying alone. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what this poor guy must have been feeling? How does that make you feel? To imagine what he must have been feeling? Do you put yourself for a moment in a situation? Do you imagine standing in that hallway? Your newborn is back here, your wife is dying, and you don't know what to do. What you are feeling that's what God feels when we hurt. That's what God feels when we are going through things. He is not a distant deity. Never in Scripture do you see that. What you see in Scripture is an emotional God, whatever that might mean. You see a God who hurts. You see a God who gets angry. You see a God who gets pleased. And it's a God who sees his people and knows, feels, empathizes with. Brothers and sisters, he pays attention to us when we go through our hardships. 
and it's at an intimate, personal level. And go back into the text. He acts. I'm going to skip a bunch here, and I'm going to just give you the highlights. Chapter 3 and verse 1 is the burning bush. Everybody remember that account? Moses is with the sheep, and he sees the bush, and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And then he approaches it to see what it is, and he hears the voice of God say from the bush, take off your shoes. The place where you are standing is holy ground. This is the first time in the scripture where we see sacred space. In Genesis, there was sacred time. We talked about the Sabbath. He makes it holy. There's a time that God sets apart and says, this is sacred, this is mine. But all the way through Genesis, while he speaks to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, never in Genesis do you have this thing where God comes down and there's a space that is somehow more holy than the rest of the space around it. Moses is standing over here and right here, he doesn't have to take his shoes off. It's as he moves toward this place where God has localized his presence. There's something very special about God being right there that is like what he was in the garden and hasn't been since up to that point. But something is happening right here. God has come down and he says, Moses, I've heard and I'm here to respond. And look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt before he's saying it to himself in chapter two. But here he's saying it to Moses. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God comes down. God says, enough is enough. I've paid attention to my people. I've seen their suffering. I know their suffering. And I am here to do something about it. For 80 plus years, God paid attention to his people. He blessed them in the midst of the persecution. At one point, the persecution became so much, the outcry became so much that God says, now I'm coming down to do something about it. God pays attention to his people. He knows their suffering. He offers them blessing right in the middle of persecution. Because God pays attention. And, number two, God is and promises to be with us. It's not only that he pays attention, but he says, I'll be with you. Whatever hardship you're going through, whatever struggles or fears you have, I will be with you. Notice what he does here in verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children 
of Israel out of Egypt. Right? All along, this has been God's plan. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, you are my image bearers. I will use you to represent me in creation. Okay, Adam, your turn. Go for it. He fails. Okay, Noah, we're using you now to start over. All right, Abraham, I'm going to use you. Even though I could have done a different plan, I'm going to use you to take me and my will forward and my blessing forward. It's always using his image bearers. And here it is again. Moses, come here. I have seen the affliction. I'm going to do something about it. But I'm going to use you. Do you imagine what Moses must be feeling? How many of you, you don't raise your hand, just think about this. How many of you are scared at times to walk up to somebody, maybe a coworker, who doesn't know Jesus, but is going through something, and you're afraid to walk up and say, can I pray for you? Because you're afraid. You're going to look dumb. You're going to have the wrong answer. They're going to call you out something, but you're afraid. How many situations have you been in where talking about God, doing something for God, challenged you, and you felt like, I don't know if I can do this. It feels weird. It doesn't feel right. It's out of my comfort zone, whatever it is. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for a minute. Come here, shepherd boy. I want you to go to the most powerful ruler on earth and confront him. You think you're being challenged by saying, hey, can I pray for you? Here's Moses. I want you to go confront Pharaoh. Moses' response, verse 11, but Moses said to God, (laughs) I've done that before, Uh, but God, (laughs) who am I? Have you ever felt that? Who am I that I should do this? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You are my image bearer. That's who you are. You are the one that I have chosen to bring me to others. And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I will be with you, Moses. You're not doing this alone. You will go to Pharaoh and you will stand before this great ruler, this great ruler that most people think is a God. You will stand before him and I am with you. You don't do it alone. Do you know what it means to be with somebody? Have you ever had somebody with you when you went through something? Have you ever drawn strength from somebody? Even if they couldn't fix your problem, have you ever drawn strength from somebody? About, um, I forget now, maybe a year ago, right around there, um, we got a call that my daughter had hurt her wrist. And many of you may remember my daughter coming with a cast on her wrist for a couple of months. And they, we got there. I, I showed up, and I, I go in, and they've got her sitting there, and, and she's got it covered. Um, 
and she's and there's a, a police officer and there's the coach and there's the administrator and and they said you should get her somewhere because we think it might be broken. And I hadn't seen it yet. And so I bring her over to an emergency room that they said to bring her to, to get it checked out, to find out if it's broken or not. And we get there, and we're sitting in the emergency room. We're just in the waiting room part before they brought us back. And the lady said, let's, let's have a doctor come out and look at it before we bring you back there. Make sure we can do something about it. And they pull it off. And I'm, I'm not kidding. It was an S. And the doctor goes, um, that's broken. And I'm thinking back, you think this might be broken? Like, wrists don't do this. It's, it's literally an S. I don't know how my daughter is just not totally broken down at this point. But we bring her in. Um, it costs 5900 and something dollars. Thankfully, we just got insurance through the church. Unthankfully, with a $6,000 deductible. It was awesome. But here's what I remember. I remember being with my daughter. From that moment, in the car, at children's, going back with her. I remember being with her. And I remember her knowing that I was there, her mom was there, and just knowing that she was drawing strength we weren't fixing it. I couldn't just like, okay, you're all better now, honey. I couldn't fix it. But I could be with her through it. I could tell her it was okay. I could give her strength from me. I could make sure she got to the place she needed to go so they could do what they needed to do. God is with his people. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go out and make more of disciples. I'm an image, you are an image bearer of me, and I will be with you till the end of the age. I will be with you. Draw strength from knowing God is with you. Whether it is as simple but as scary as walking up to somebody and going, can I pray for you? I'm a little wigged out by this, but can I pray for you? God is with you. Number one, God pays attention. He knows your pain and hardship, your fears. He knows all of it. Number two, he is with you. And number three, and this is the most important thing, we know God's name. And that may sound really weird to you. How does that have anything to do with this? Okay, so we know his name, big deal. Look at what happens. Go back into your text. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, that question has so much more than what we may realize in it. It is, Moses is not asking this question, although it's a legitimate one. There's all these gods in Egypt. We've been here for a long time. Are we the God of our ancestors? But like, what's your name, God, so I can tell him which one it is? 
all these Egyptian gods, which one is it? It's so much bigger than that. We think of name as identification, right? This is Trey. And when I say the name Trey, I'm simply identifying this male human out of all of these other male humans. It had so much more meaning to it. The name was character. The name was nature. Who was this person? What Moses just said is like doing a job interview. I've done a bunch of them. When you're hiring somebody and you're trying to figure out, okay, I've got all these people applying for this position. I need to know something about these people because I want to hire the best one to do this job. I want to hire the best one who's going to be faithful, competent, organized, whatever it takes to do this job. I one time did 12 interviews for a position of unqualified candidates. It was such a pain. I just, I'm getting, I'm like thinking, does anybody who actually wants this position who's qualified is ever going to come through those doors to do it? And I ran across these questions that were suggested questions for asking for doing interviews. I wish I would have had these. It would have made my interview so much more pleasant. Now, there are 40 of them. I will not read them all. Just a select few. On average, how many times a week do you hurt yourself trying to dance in the shower? (laughs) How many bowls of cereal do you eat every single day, and why aren't you eating more? How old were you? when you realize that Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny probably never actually knew one another in real life. Say there's a whole box of Teddy Grahams in a room all by themselves. Say I left them there and told you not to eat any of them until I got back. How long would it take you to disobey my wishes? How long after you are full do you keep eating for? How many people do you fall in love with every day? How many friendships have you ruined because you refuse to play a game of Monopoly mercifully? What do you do when a baby just stares at you in public? Like, doesn't even blink. Just maintains that intense, aggressive eye contact with their dumb baby face. What do you do? If I gave you 10 bucks to buy me chocolate milk and it only costs three, would you bring me all the change? Or... Would you tell me it was actually $10? Because I'll know. I know chocolate milk doesn't cost that much. How many seconds would it take you to eat this entire block of cheese? Finally, and this one's important, so pay attention. What do you think cats dream about? I would have loved to do those questions over the ones I was asking. At least I would have had fun with it. Moses is doing a job interview. Can we trust you, is what he's asking. What is the name? And God gives it. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Specifically, he says, etya, which is probably a word you've never heard before. It's the first person of a Hebrew word. 
Only God can call himself that. Because when he tells Moses, I want you to tell the people my name, he gives them Yahweh, the name that you've probably heard, which is the third person he is. I am who I am, he said. Say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. God also said, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That is my name. What does it mean? It means he is eternal. It means he is unaffected by time and space. I am, period. It is a guarantee that all things he promises will happen. Anything I say I do, I will do because I am, period. Have you ever been late to a meeting? I know I should use something more realistic because none of us have ever been late to meetings before. Have you ever been like, like you have five minutes to get to the meeting, but you know it's gonna take at least 15 minutes to drive there? Have you been in that situation? Okay, imagine with me if you were five minutes late and you needed 15 minutes to get somewhere. And not only did you get there on time, but you also did the laundry, cleaned out that closet that needed to be cleaned out for a really long time, read a novel, wrote a novel, and still got there with five minutes to spare. That's I am. There are no limitations of time or space. What are some of the reasons that you and I don't live up to our word? What are the things that get in the way? What are the things we promise? I'm going to do this, but then I also promised I was going to do that, and I was going to do that, and you end up letting people down because you can't do it all. He can always do it all without limitation. I am. That's our God. We can trust him because he pays attention to his people. We can trust him because he is always with us. And we can trust him because of the very nature of who our God is. I am. And nothing stands in my way of fulfilling what I say I will do for you. And that's what I want you to remember throughout all generations. This is what our God can do, though I recognize he doesn't always. I end with this. Gabriel, the man whose wife was dying, this is how his story ends. I thought about all the times I missed church. I thought about how to tell my new family the bad news. So much was going on through my mind that I had no time to even enjoy my son. I had to be strong for my family. I had to put the weight upon my shoulders. I had to walk into that operating room when my wife was passing away and not know what to say. I didn't want to pray because I thought God would shun me for not being a good Christian. Tell me you haven't felt that before. That's not our God. 
He knows our pain. He even knows the reasons why you haven't been faithful. I was so sorry, and I asked God if just somehow he would hear this one last request. As I was walking down the hall, I just wanted my dad to comfort me. And he's talking about his real dad, not God. I felt like a little boy, and with about 30 yards to go, God spoke to me. And this is what I heard Jesus say. Gabriel, my son, I love you more than you can imagine. I heard you, and I was there. I saw the C-section. I helped the doctors find the problem. I saw when she hemorrhaged, and I made sure they caught it. I was waiting for you in this hallway when you wanted your father. It is okay to call on me. I will always love you. And just as you have asked, I have been asking my father to save your wife. I walked in with more love in my heart for everything in that moment. My wife and son are doing great and they will be discharged on Sunday. If you see me at church, don't ask me where I've been. Just say you're glad that I'm home. Our God does care. And he does act. And not everybody gets a miracle like this. But they happen. Because our God cares. And you can trust him because of that. I'm truly speechless. I can't believe so many people have shared this post. I'm humbled to think God can still use the worst of the bunch. My heart is overwhelmed with love and sadness. I'm just one man in one story. I can only imagine what would happen if we as men would lose this persona and lead with our hearts and truly show the world God's love. That is what image bearers are called to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for paying attention to us. Thank you for seeing our hardships. Thank you for being with us even when we don't pay attention to you. Lord, thank you that you are the great I am. Please lead us in all things. Please help us to turn more frequently, more often to you, our God. Please let us in faith trust that you are walking with us. And thank you for doing so. In Jesus' name, amen.